Welcome to this podcast from A Passion for Life. My name is Craig Dyer and it's early days for us on this little podcast. We're learning as we go and having a lot of fun. Well, at least I am uh, in the process. If you're joining us for the first time, we're thrilled to have you. Thank you so much for listening. It may be that you missed the earlier podcast. We had the pleasure of chatting to Paul Clark on the first two and he helped so much to put flesh on the bones of our aim in this little podcast, which is to engage with church leaders and church families across the UK and Ireland as we think together about how we can, by the help of the Holy Spirit, keep developing a healthy mission culture in our local churches. As promised, we will be having a special session on a passion for life itself, all the ways that that is designed and set up to be helpful, applied locally to you and your setting for your encouragement. And you can go to the website and find out more now about that at apassionforlife.org.uk. We're all about a month of mission across the UK and Ireland set in the spring of next year, but that in the context of a lifetime of evangelism. That's what's meant by a passion for life. Paul took us right to the heart of our aim for this podcast, which is mostly to have conversations with local church and mission leaders. And we hope that that will speak to us for our upbuilding and encouragement and consolation in the work of the gospel. Now for this and the next podcast, I'm delighted to be in conversation with Rico Tice. I can't imagine you haven't heard of him. He's married to Lucy. They have three wonderful and energetic children, Peter, Daniel and Mercy. Rico has been on the senior leadership team of All Souls Langham Place for almost 30 years and of course is the founder and face of Christianity Explored Ministries. Rico, I know that even in lockdown your days are packed so thank you for making the time. It's great to have you. Shall we talk about the Six Nations or is it still too painful for you and me to to, to go there? No, it's great. Look, I, I, I have to say that, um, you know, I mean, it was just amazing that against Wales, the bench came on and each one of them gave away a penalty and we yeah. lost the game convincingly. <laughs> and uh, But that's how you learn. I don't think you learn by winning. I think you learn by yeah. losing. So um, once we'd lost to Scotland, by the way, and Scotland absolutely oh, deserved to win that game. I was, um, I'm glad you did mention it in the passing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's very good. No, it was, it was an amazing <laughs> performance. And, and I think it was the confidence of of the Scottish players now, people like Hogg, oh, they just they just yeah. know they can do it. They know they're better rugby players, and so no, it was it was great. I, I also think the Saracens boys, the five Saracens guys, yeah. just aren't playing regularly rugby. And and it you know if you're not doing that regularly, it really tells. It really yeah. tells. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, we're up for Ireland next, so that'll be a tough one for us, yeah. no doubt. But it's great. We've hopefully we've got guys from uh, from brothers and sisters from all over the UK and Ireland who are listening to this. So we do have. We do have common interests in these things. Rico, tell us, how is life with the Tices these days and how deep are the joys of homeschooling for, for you and Lucy? Well, I've, I, I've, I've had to mentally acclimatise my, my head to the fact that if you've got five people in the home, so there's Lucy and I and our three children, during lockdown, one person's going to have a meltdown each day. So you're going to have, <laughs> every five days you have Someone's going to have one, so it's one a day. And I, I love the I love the analysis of that. I, I won't tell it. you who had a, who had a meltdown last night, but it wasn't the kids. So, but, um, yeah, but, so you're just going to have one a day. So, so you, you, know. you you pass the responsibility. It's your day for the. You have a rotor meltdown rotor. Yeah, I love yeah, meltdown that rotor. Yeah, yeah and I, I love and I, that. I, brother, but. I think what's interesting is I don't think we're quite sure what 
this is doing to us mentally. No, I mean, they're great true. opportunities, but and so you're just in the middle of trying to work out what's going on and what the right expectations yeah. of each other are, you know, so. That is so true. It's going yeah. to be a while before we can really figure out what's happened here. Well, it does, although it does give evangelistically, it means everyone's yeah. in the same story. You're immediately yes. f- f- at real issues because, you know, how's it going? And, you know, it's mm. a genuine question of concern and and there aren't soft answers to it, uh, you know. No. no, and it has it has definitely brought the brutal reality of, uh, life expectancy and everything completely up for grabs again in a way that it hadn't done well, previously. Well, my neighbour Kevin, there was that he and his partner Brian, they're a, a, a gay couple. They're great friends of mine. Um, I, I really um, have, have have a real friendship. But mm. um, they had six people to lunch on Christmas Day, and three of the six have now died. Oh, it's brutal. So, so it means that you are right at the core issues of yeah. of where is hope. Yeah, and, and but really hard as well. Really hard. Oh, it's tough yeah. going. Thinking about the the family, Rico, it's interesting that you now, you and Lucy are blessed with two boys and, and a little girl, Mercy, because that was your own family profile growing up, wasn't it? Can you tell us a little bit about your family as you as you came into the world and as you as you grew up? Yeah, my, my dad worked in BAT, British American Tobacco, and my mum was a nurse and they met in East Africa. Wow. And um uh uh, then my father asked my mother to marry him nine times. And on the ninth, on the ninth occasion, nowadays you'd get done for stalking, wouldn't you? I mean, you'd be done for stalking. On the ninth occasion, she said yes. And then she said no 10 days for the wedding. So he went on honeymoon on his own to um, New York, which isn't what you're meant to do. Quite a lonely honeymoon, I think. Came back and they met at Victoria Station to send the presents back because uh, they'd come from East Africa. So they, they oh. and, and um, dad was just going back to Africa and, um, and, and mum said, well, what do you want to do now? I said, no, I'm never seeing you again. He said, I'm walking out that door. He said, I've just been on honeymoon on my own. I've had enough. And she said, but I'd like to see you. And he said, no, you marry me tomorrow morning or I'm never seeing you again. So they got oh, married wow. in Eastbourne Registry Office the next morning. So what whenever I walk, story. when I walk past the coffee shop, when I walk past Costa in yeah. um, Victoria, Victoria Station, I'm always quite grateful. Yeah, that is. I mean, that that podcast, yeah. this podcast, is worth it for that story alone. That is absolutely astounding. And now we know where you got your perseverance from. I used to say there's no one with endurance like the man who sells insurance. But I think your dad sells tobacco, and he yeah. he did jolly well. He did jolly well with that. So actually, you and your your twin sister, you were actually born in Chile. Is that right? Yeah, born in Chile. So dad then went to Chile from Africa to grow tobacco. The big Africa story was that in the 50s, he and mm. Idi Amin were friends and they used oh, to go hunting together. Goodness. So I, mean, I, I can't bear to tell you this because it's so bad now, but I mean, they, he, he, they shot elephant together. I mean, terrible, yeah, isn't nice. it? I mean, and then, and then he knew Amin well and then was actually used to go and see him regularly when he was in power and actually teach economics a bit because Amin was suddenly elevated to this position. On a Friday afternoon, he'd go up, but then they left because of the murdering. And and actually, Dad flew back and told the British government that they're, they're doing this. Amin's oh, doing okay. this. I know him. Wasn't believed. But then when we were leaving East Africa, um, he went up to say goodbye to Amin and said, look, well, the company's coming out. We're coming out because of what's going on. Amin said, I don't understand. He said, well, I, you know, just the, it's terrible what's happening. You've got the wrong people around you. And he said, I've got to go now. It's the plane. Amin said, no, 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 no. He said, hold it. And so he phoned the airport, Armin, and made them delay the oh. plane. So we sat on the runway for four hours waiting for my dad to come. Goodness. So that was And do you remember, you have actually memories of that? No, no, that but plane. obviously it was my parents told the story. I think my mother would be sitting on the plane with a full plane waiting for my father to arrive. Just and that would have been massively menacing. 
with Idia Amin holding the plane up and yeah, you know, yeah. I, I think I think my father actually when when I came to faith, um, the understanding of sin that I discovered, I think he he grasped very quickly. He had seen terrible evil. My goodness. And he'd seen witch doctors in East Africa too. So actually, um, you know, he came to faith in after he'd retired. But I, I think his understanding of the world in terms of evil was that this is yeah. a very real thing. And um is, you know, it was, it was agony to to see. He knew Armin well, and it was agony to see what he knew he what he was doing. But he must have had your dad must have had a substantial confidence about him to be able to speak truth to power like that. Well, as you look back, of course, it makes me feel quite emotional about that. I've never really yeah. thought about it, but but of course, you only really examine your my my dad died five years ago. Yeah. But you only really examine your parents when you have kids yourself, don't you? You start seeing what they yeah, did. And, exactly. Yeah, that yeah, is was, that is amazing. And and actually, he met great missionaries. So you know that the missionaries he met, on the whole, were very impressive. The Catholic priests and others. Yeah. So they commended um, the Christian faith. That, they did really. I think he really he, he really thought they're there to serve. He really did amazing. see that, and and I think that planted roots of authenticity for him. How long were you overseas as a family then, Rico? I mean, when when did when did you first come to the home to the UK? I mean, was yeah, that well, earlier? well, I, I I came back when I was six. My my brother went from uh, we went we were in in Chile and then in Africa. So I was born mm. in Chile in South America, which is where I got my stupid name, of course. You know, oh, tell us so, about that. How did you get? Well, how did you get? Well, Rico? I was christened Richard, and my yeah. sister. Camilla, but of course, Richard in Spanish is Ricardo, which is shortened to Rico. So Rico oh, Tice brilliant. came along. So I spent my life being called Tico, Tico Rice. I was once introduced as, uh, we, we know him so well, Tico Tice. It's great to have him. So, you know, sort of, I get, my name just gets, and of course, Tico Rice sounds like number 42 at the takeaway, doesn't it? Exactly. So it's just terrible, you know. Yeah. So that oh, that's was, awesome. It's worked well for you over the years. You carry, you carry it well. Well, of course, when my mother when my mother called me Richard, I always knew I was in trouble. If she went Richard yeah. and not Rico, you I got thought, your, oh, okay, you got go. your Sunday name. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Got my Sunday name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, remarkable. So then you came back to the UK for for schooling, really, was it? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing about school in Africa was we went to mission schools, so mm. we were prayed for. And I, 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 I mean, I feel very emotional. I, I the, you know, we were in the in Zaire, the Belgian Congo, as it was, and. You know, we went to these mission schools and then in Uganda in Kampala and, and they were run by missionaries and we were we were prayed for. And I, I always remember once actually just that there were mission mission kids who we sort of knew at the schools, but going home mm. and seeing the bunk seeing the beds lined up in the mission station where the kids were coming to schools, it was set up for them and then we'd be part of an expat community going, but pretty brutal. You know, oh, there were yeah. these kids of five, six, seven who'd been sent in from parents, you know, in those days, they didn't do the homeschool thing. I think during COVID, I'm beginning to realise why they didn't do the homeschool thing. But I mean, you know, just thinking, just thinking that is a very tough call that those kids were sent off, you know, blimey. Yeah. Definitely, Rico. Yeah. That's amazing. So so those missionaries prayed for us. And I'm convinced years later, when we came to faith, it was an answer to those prayers that were prayed for us. You know, why, why was it in God's sovereignty, my brother, sister, and I all came to faith. I think we've been prayed for as, as children at the mission that school. Is, that is a remarkable yeah. thing. That is remarkable. Just to think of the faithfulness of people praying, bringing yeah. kids for whom maybe no one else prays before the Lord and uh, eternity will reveal the impact of that. But that's great to hear it in time. 
Um, so you you all what age were you when you came back for schooling? Yeah, in, in I, the UK? I mean, my brother got sent back, and actually, yeah. you talk about being toughened up. He went to the same. We went to this little boarding school in Somerset because my grandparents were there, which is where John Cleese went to school. It was in Burnham on Sea. It's oh, now yeah. shut down, so it's now an old people's home. So, when I'm an old man, I'll move back you in there, and I'll have. Bike. I'll have nightmares that I'm back at that prep school and I'll wake up and find I am. So I'll, I'll move back in when I'm old. But it was it was very tough. I mean, my brother, when he got back, having flown in from Heathrow, a senior boy said to him, where did you come from? He said, Africa. Do you come into Heathrow? He said, yeah. Were there lots of planes? He said, yeah. He said, are you flying back from there? He said, yeah. He said, there were lots of planes, weren't there? My brother said, yeah. He said, you'll never get home. You'll never get on the right plane. Oh. He said, you won't see your parents again. So there was... <laughs> what a you know, start. That, so it was that culture of of brutality. It was a pretty brutal culture, and then you know, a week later, my my, you know, my brother finds someone gets into bed with him in the in the evening. You oh, know, he's, he gets, so these little boys are being sent at seven eight. Oh. Of course, I mean, I, you know, it, it just it doesn't I, bear thinking about. But it was fine for me because when I went, um, I had his protection. You know, I, mm. I I never had the problems he had. I've got a wonderful older brother who's protective guy but i think for him getting there was and of course my parents had no idea they they sent no. us to a school that was near the grandparents um, no that's right all that all the trust is there and it's all assumed so george grew up quick and grew up tough yeah to deal it was very with and very selfless guy he's always just been a you know a, a, a very gracious uncompetitive kind man um, and I'm he was grateful. massively influence massively influential in terms of helping you to see the truth of the gospel. Is that right at one point? Yes. I mean, I think it's so interesting. At that school, we were given Old Testament and New Testament homework every week. Hmm. So, and there was morning assembly and the Lord's Prayer. And so I was told the story of faith, but of course they weren't evangelicals. They, They had no hook. They didn't know how to bring you to faith, but they did tell you the story you were living in. Um. And and the trouble is in that background is salvation really is by being a good guy. You know, duty yeah. is salvation. Yeah. But they nevertheless do give you the story. You know, you know the stories. You know, we had scripture Amazing. test. So that's an amazing. And I look now at the present generation. I think they don't know what story they don't they're get in. That narrative. No. So I did have the narrative, and then wonderfully, um, George and I both had a had a um, a maths teacher uh, at at um, at my next school, my next boarding school, Sherburn in the West Country who George had an essay, which is what's the connection between the Old and New Testament. And George just knew this guy was a bit religious, this guy, Christopher huh. Ash. Oh, and he well. said to Christopher Ash, he said, he said, he said, I don't know how to answer this. And Christopher said, why don't we have a come round for tea? So the, the essay gave him permission to, and then Christopher Ash did Isaiah 53 and John 3.16 and Revelation 3.20 and, and, and said, look, come back next. But he sort of did the, he, he did, George wrote a very good essay on the connection between the Old and New Testament but he said, why don't you come back? And he led him to faith the following week. So, you know, but you, you need the evangelical who says, you've got this story, you, yeah. you feel this guilt, but this is what you do with it. And, yeah. and that's, you know, so often orthodox people don't have the methodology to bring people to faith. That is such an interesting observation you make there. So the, the structure was all in place, but it really took Christopher to put the perils on the string and to really help George come to know the glories of this good news. Yes, and and then and then and then Christopher was remarkable. So George went on a classic middle class gap year. He went out to New Zealand and South Africa, and but in New Zealand, when he travelled around, I'm going to get emotional as I say this. Um, yeah, you know, 
Christopher organised for, for Christians to come and see him at the different hostels he was at. My goodness. So this is a guy ringing up from, you know, England to New Zealand in the 80s saying, George Tyson, he said, oh, yeah, look, come and have dinner with us tonight. Amazing. So he, he was picked up around New Zealand because his schoolmaster had, I mean, you know. I've gone to that. That is, yeah. talk about mission culture. That is just amazing. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's here we are all these years later and that is still having an impact on you and, and would on anybody. It's just, it's the faith. I think we're beginning to see a pattern of the faithfulness in comparatively small things done to the glory of God has a massive, massive impact. Yeah, and we must remember that Luke 15 is so important for us. You know, this the lost sheep, you know, you the the shepherd goes after the sheep, whatever the cost, and doesn't stop searching. And, of course, Amazing. that is, you know, until he found it, until she found the coin. And it is exhausting. So, brothers, sisters, as you listen, you know, we, we the Lord does yeah. that for us. That's the main thing. But That's as it. we follow him, I mean, I think of Christopher Ashton. I think of the diligence with which he followed up my brother. You know, and, and, you know, it was just extraordinary. An outstanding example. Yeah. And, and then how did that impact you at the time, Rico? How did, how did you personally come to know the well, Lord Jesus? Well, it's interesting. My brother was somewhat of conscience. And so I just knew he'd responded to Christ because he knew it was true. And, and I, 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 just, I just thought he's done this because it's true. And I think, but also it, it gave me, the person who was closest to me, was now my that was the most important person in my peer group. So, yeah. But then to, to to come to faith was was brutal in that environment because um, those schools are not friendly to the gospel. I mean, they no. they have their idols, and so I immediately found once I'd come to faith that actually it really was a war, and I, I'm very grateful for that because it taught me. You know, fifteen, sixteen. There was a little Christian meeting we went to, but it taught me it is a battle. If you're, mm. if you, you know, we we can be as charming as we like, but this is this is a life and death battle. You are up against Satan, and so I mean, there were magazines written uh, about me. Uh, you know, I came to faith, and Billy Graham came in '84, so we we decided we'd invite, or, or try and invite <clears throat> every boy in the school. So we went around the school, huh. invited 200, and I, I I remember there was a ringing up a bloke in your in Yeovil. I just had his number a christian i said look we've got no money we're schoolboys. would you pay for five coaches he said yes i'll pay wow. so you know what a christian i look forward to meeting him in glory but um <laughs> but but of course it unleashes with the moment the gospel goes out it unleashes a battle um yeah and was it was it that personal impact of the gospel that you said look this just has to be this just has to get out we just have to tell people we just got to share this good news was it that personal impact that drove you from your earliest days to be evangelistic yes my godfather had been killed in a cliff fall and and i i i in in it, that had really along with yeah. george's influence had a huge influence mm. and and i remember thinking it's rather like covid now i woke up to the fact there is no hope outside of christ and we're not here for long mm-hmm. so I, I i just think being converted often is waking up and I, I, I just yeah. woke up, we're going to die. Um, I was very self-centered. My brother wasn't, but I was. I'd kept a diary and really it was an ego thing thinking, you know, people will yeah. need to know about my life. It was an extraordinary display of each night recording this diary. But but what the diary did also was it, it led me to Christ really because it showed me my sin. So I'd write in the diary, wouldn't it be great if the starving were fed, but ask my parents for a larger allowance 
Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was world peace, but never lay aside the weapons of malice and sarcasm in my own self-defense? And of course, having a twin sister also, because I I also realized that I didn't want my friends to do to my sister what I wanted to do to my sister's friends. Oh, wow. You know, so I suddenly saw that there was safety in the... I suddenly realized, no, I, I... You know, so there's pornography all over the boarding house and then there's my precious twin sister who's yeah. at the local girls' school, Sherburn Girls. And I, and I, I suddenly saw that... Um, there was safety in the gospel. I, I could see it was flourishing, that you needed rules. So it wasn't really moral. It was just wanting my twin sister protected. So those things those things were coming together, really. Um, so that, that was a remarkable work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a young, as a young guy, um, being able to see that. I mean, it, it does strike me, and anybody listening to this so far, you, you, you're a... A remarkable analyst. You you've you learn things from even from your earliest days. You reflect. You remember. Um, you you tend to write down almost everything that's said in a whole range of discussions. What is your process for maximizing the value of all that you glean from day to day? I mean, how do you how do you do that reflecting? Can you help us with that? Well, I think I, I've got dyslexia and. Dyslexia is a very interesting thing. I, I think it's a severe mercy, but it it means that you, you you have to get the main point, or else you fail the exam. You you know you. Yeah. But it does mean you understand quite. You have to understand deeply. So I'm, I think what I'm doing is I'm always listening for what's the key here. What's the what's the one thing this person's saying, or what do I take away, and then how do I frame that? And of course, if we're preachers. That's often within the context of a Sunday sermon you're listening. Yeah. You know, that's why it's so important to start preparing early because it's the law of the field. You know, you you plough, you sow, you wait, you water, you yeah. harvest. Now, you can't do that if you start preparing on a Saturday night. Yeah. So in some ways, the notes are always, I've got, there's always a sermon you've got coming up. But, but, yes. but, it's, but it's also, I think, I think it's, I'm I'm very aware that we're in a culture where the the lenses through which everyone sees the culture are not godly. They're not it's not all in behind Christian faith is true. It's actually saying Christian faith is on the on the first floor which is this irrelevance you do on a Sunday. And the ground floor, you know, sport, life, sex, family, homeschooling, business, that's real life. And and actually I find as I take those notes I'm actually correcting the lenses and going, actually, no, here's real life, and it makes sense only through the Christian worldview. So there's a little bit of that going on that um, is remarkable. as well. But, you know, in a day, you'll be involved in so many conversations, and you're looking for you're looking for the main point, and when you're writing it down, you don't know what the main point's going to be yet. I mean, what is your practice? Do you review them daily? No, I, 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 underline, I sort of underline, or I have a highlighter and think that's the, yeah. that's the main thing. And then... And then Church ministry is made up of tiny gestures. So there's perhaps one text to send or one email to send that shows yeah. you have heard or you are encouraging. But, you know, brothers and sisters, as we listen, just to say, you know, that just that one thing feeding back or thank you for that, the tiny gestures are what make up church and family life. It's the it's the little gesture. And so often if you've taken notes, you think that's, I've just got to do that. I'll just get back to them and say, thank you for that. That was really helpful. I think that's massive. And, um, that's a huge thing for Well, we all need encouragement. All John Stott always used to say, you know, what, what's been the hardest thing in ministry? And he said discouragement. Now, we're going to have 0.01 of John Stott's ministry. And yet his biggest problem was discouragement. And that man Amazing. ends up in the time 100. 
<laughs> so what's so we've got to encourage each other. You know, if you find something I've said helpful, will you please tell me? Because I need the encouragement, particularly in a culture that's hardening. Although, again, they're great encouragements at the moment because the culture's finding that it's it's its story is absolutely not working. But, you know, we do need to encourage each other. We, we, and, and all the more as we see the day approaching. That's yeah. the thing, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And and, and I, I mean, I think that's a great place maybe for us to to pause um, at the end of this uh, first half of the, the podcast, as it were, um, just thinking about that, that real encouragement for us to be encouragers. Um, we still have so much more encouraging and stimulating stuff to talk about with Rico for Real Life Gospel Ministry today. But for now, thank you so much for being with us, Rico. We look forward to hearing more from you, bro, on the the next podcast. And thank you for listening. Be sure to check out apassionforlife.org.uk for more information about this podcast and many more resources to help us stir this passion for life. Bye for now.